Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here together with you this morning and to see you and visit with you and shake hands and give hugs. And it's always a, a boost for the week. And uh, God knew what he was doing when he created the assembly of his people, the church, to come together throughout the week and spend time together, not only to worship him, which is first and foremost, but to be together and encourage one another and uh, learn and grow together. And so we're so very glad to see all of you here today. We're very glad to have those of you who are visiting with us and those who are uh, able to get out, who aren't, aren't always able to get out and be with us. Uh, it's a very special blessing to see you and be with you, as well as those of you joining us online. One of the most controversial topics of the day is that of sexual identity. And there are strong convictions on both sides, aren't there? Or you might even say on all sides, or at least both sides of the issue. And it leaves us wondering, what is a parent to think? What is a teenager to think? Uh, what is a Christian to think about this subject? We hear so many different things and see so many different things. Uh, what is it that we need to understand or believe? And I uh, want you to know that I approach this subject and subjects like this with, uh, I want you to know my intent is always to approach these subjects with gentleness, with respect, uh, knowing that uh, subjects like this, issues like this, touch really basically all of our lives. And I don't know where... Uh, anyone is at at any moment necessarily and things that they are uh, going through. But we always want to handle these subjects also with speaking the truth in love. And so often uh, Christians forget the love part of that and they want to pound on the truth and forget about the love. And that makes me wonder, well then is there for that truth if there is no love? And so we want to address this and every subject we've been doing in this series with, really, what does the Bible say? What, what can we see from Scripture on this subject? So I want you to know that this subject and, and any subject is not aimed at any uh, person or uh, situation or anything like that. I planned my sermon series out well in advance. So this topic was uh, selected for this date uh, about a year ago. And uh, so I think I'm, I'm in, I have series planned out, I think I'm in about 2027 right now, uh, as far as the, the topics planned out. And of course, I want to be flexible and I make adjustments along the way, but I like doing that because it lets me kind of see a roadmap and make sure I'm trying to be balanced and cover a number of different things. So what I want to try to do is describe uh, concisely as best I can what we see in our culture and uh, some of the challenges that that presents and then to look at what God's word does say on this subject and hopefully help us to be uh, educated and equipped and informed on uh, this important subject. And so I hope that you will uh, hear this in the way that I intend to communicate it because we always, no matter what a person's uh, dealing with, no matter what their uh, beliefs are, we always want to come from a perspective of 
loving all people because Christ died for all people. So what about sexual identity? It used to be, and most of us in here remember, when the terms sex and gender really were synonymous. They, they meant basically the same thing. They were interchangeable. They were understood to be uh, almost the very same thing. If you were born a female, then that meant you had the physical characteristics of a female. And that meant that if you were to take a DNA test, then that DNA, DNA test would confirm without a doubt that you are female. We would say then, therefore, that your gender is female. Same would be true for males. I also want to mention that I realize we have a mixed audience in here. We have younger children, so we want to talk appropriately, but at the same time be uh, uh, a balance with uh, explaining things, because we have older elementary school kids that are, that are seeing these things, hearing these things, uh, and, and coming across uh, subjects like this. So we want to be able to communicate and then do so appropriately. So uh, gender does, though, however, we understand, have some cultural nuance to it, doesn't it? That it is essentially the same thing historically as sex, meaning gender. That's the way we uh, have understood that. But, it, you know, it's the biological difference in our creation, the way God has created us, either male or female. But the cultural nuance is different as you travel maybe the country or, or, or the world and throughout time, where there are generally things associated with boys, with males, and generally things associated with girls and females. And so there is a degree, when we talk about the idea of gender, some, 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 uh, some, some cultural nuance and difference there, right? Uh, it's okay if a boy uh, likes art and uh, music and things like that, and very likely he probably also likes to wrestle and be wild and crazy. And it's okay if a boy just wants to be outside and never wear a pair of shoes and never wear a shirt and, and doesn't even want to pick up a paintbrush or uh, can't even write. That's all okay. There's a lot of things like that, that that's not what we're talking about. Sometimes that clouds the issue. And I understand that there are there, there is cultural differences there and uh, some, some norms and expectations. Uh, and, and we can talk about those if time permits. But these terms in recent years have been redefined by our culture, haven't they? And, and what has happened is sex and gender have been separated to be two distinct things, two different things, right? And, and so I've heard and I've, I've read and heard and uh, and and. and watched so, so much trying to, trying to get, make sure I had a grasp of, uh, of all the different perspectives uh, on this subject. And there are some conflicting people on one side or another that have some conflicting definitions. But among all those different definitions, what seems to be that also is part of the problem is that uh, once you start breaking those apart, sex and gender, and everybody starts identifying it in their own way, well, all of a sudden, there's no one definition of anything. And that part of the problem, and perhaps part of the intent as well. But the prevailing definition seems to be that gender is separated from sex, and gender has to do with your psychology, your social 
life, your cultural aspects of being male or female. It's how you feel. It's your perspective of yourself. We're told that gender identity has to do with this internal sense of self as being male or female uh, or neither or both or something uh, in, in between. And, and so the term transgender has become this umbrella term that uh, for the different ways of some people experiencing their self-perception. And, and if you have incongruence between your self-perception, how you feel, and what your biology says, then that therefore means you must be transgender. Your, your, your body looks like this, but you feel this way, therefore you must be the other, uh, the other gender. And so we have this uh, incongruent and even confusing mix sometimes that we hear. And that's, that's what we see and hear in culture. That's the prevailing message and definitions. And so from that, we're told that people should be free to choose whatever uh, gender they are. And even if it's different than their biological uh, sex, than what they were born with. And maybe it's this for a time period, and maybe it is, is this for a period, and maybe it's somewhere in between later on. So at the heart of the transgender argument is that sex and gender are two different things. Sex is biology, that's what you were born with physically, and gender uh, is how you perceive yourself, how you feel. And this is what we're now told from culture and so-called experts. And so it raises good questions. And a good question is if someone experiences this mismatch between their, their birth sex, their biological sex, and their gender, their, their, inner, their inner sense of self, I should say, is that which one determines who I really am? If I look this way, but I feel this way, then which one am I? And I think that's a good question. That's a legitimate question. Uh, and, and, and we have to understand that not everybody has uh, heard what the Bible says on different subjects. And, and they simply don't know. And so I think we have to allow honest and good questions and be willing to say, well, let's look and see what we can find in God's Word. So science would say that biology determines your gender because it's the same as your sex, that if you were physically born male, then you are male in your gender identity. It's that simple. Culture says it's a personal choice. So what does the Bible say? Well, the word trans or transgender is not found in Scripture. Uh, you're not going to find that in the Bible. So can God help us on this issue at all? Well, I think we can go all the way back to creation, and from the very beginning, God lets us know the answer to these questions. That doesn't mean we're trying to uh, just give people pat answers and not care about them or not be concerned about what they're dealing with, what they're going through. That doesn't mean we're just heartless and we say, well, look, the Bible says this, but Let's go back to the beginning and see what we find in what God's Word says. Look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is the story of creation. And the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man 
in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And right there, that man is that generic use of man, meaning human humankind or mankind, maybe an older way of saying that, but human beings. So God, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what do we see here when we read about creation? In the story of God creating everything, and if we're going to believe it as it says it, literally, then what do we see in Scripture? First of all, we see that we were created. We didn't come from goo. We didn't come from an ape. We didn't evolve from an ape that you see at the Dallas Zoo. That's not who we came from. That, that is not Uncle Bobo, what the, the ape you see in the zoo. We were created by God as human beings. And that's it. The Bible tells us, if we're going to believe what the Bible says, then the Bible tells us we were created as male and female human beings. You were born one or the other. We were created in God's image. So we're not like the birds. We're not like the fish. We're not like the reptiles. We're not like uh, other mammals. We were created in God's image and likeness. No other living creature in all of creation has that kind of special relationship with God like we do. That kind of connection with God like we do. We were created in His image. That's amazing. We were created to have a relationship with God. So we were also created, we see, male and female, men and women, boys and girls. So the biological sex that God created us with is coded into our DNA in every cell of our body. And that's just the way it is. That's who we are and that's our gender. So the first thing that the Bible has to say about human sexuality is that there is in fact human sexuality. And it is real and it is hardwired into our very creation and therefore it is our identity. So if you were born a boy, you're a boy and you're going to grow up to be a man. If you were born a girl, you're a girl through and through, and you're going to grow up to be a woman. You may like to, to, to drive, you know, trucks, and that's okay. You may like some different things. That, 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 we're going to talk about that. that that's okay. That's, that's that cultural gender nuance there. That's not what we're talking about, okay? But it does come into the conversation. God deliberately and intentionally made us a race of men and women. That means your sexuality isn't just about what you do or how you feel. 
today or tomorrow or during a season of your life. It's about who you are and who you were meant to be, who you were created to be. It's not about what a person does, but who a person is, who God created you to be. And he created you to be that person from birth. So being male and female is intertwined also, we see, with being made in the image of God. And our bodies are an essential part of this image-bearing status that we have. We're image-bearers of God. He created us that way to bear His image on this earth. And He created us either male or either female. That's how He designed it and made it. So God is saying to us, You are who I created you to be. And that ought to be good news to us. That that gives us clarity in who we are. I don't have to wonder. I I may go through a moment in time. I may go through some feelings that that maybe I wonder and I I examine myself. But but I can know that that God created me to be who he wanted me to be. And that's who I am, male or female. That's my sex, that's my gender, whichever uh, you want to talk about, it's the same thing. Now, Jesus affirmed uh, the creation order and creation when in Matthew 19, 4, if you'll turn there, when the Pharisees were asking him, challenging him about divorce. So they were bringing up the subject of of divorce, and what does Jesus do? He didn't even really talk about divorce explicitly right well he does but he he doesn't he doesn't just directly answer their question he goes all the way back to Genesis and look what he says in verse 4 he answered have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and he said therefore a man must leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore God has joined together let not man separate So he goes back to creation to say, well, this is how God created us. And then he does move into talking about marriage and say, well, this is what God wants. This is God's design, in other words. This is how he intended it in his creation for things to be. So the truth is not something we feel based on my self-perception. In fact, the Bible tells us that our hearts can be terribly wrong. And so the idea of just follow your heart is really bad advice. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart will lead you to do some crazy and not too good stuff, won't it? And if we had time and people would talk, we could go around the room and people could tell some stories, couldn't we? So the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So you see, a four-year-old can understand all that. A 13-year-old can't understand all that. A 20-year-old, can an adult understand all that? The Bible says you don't understand your own heart. It's deceitful. And so look at the foothold that Satan gets in our lives when when he uses our heart and our feelings and our emotions because our feelings feel, don't they? And that's the strongest stuff we experience is our feelings and emotions. And that can get us twisted and and mixed up real easy. So we've got to have some source of absolute truth in, in, in in this to go to. So to be made in God's image means that no part of our humanity at all 
is purposeless or irrelevant in God's creative intention for us. So our whole being was created in his image and intended to glorify him. Look at Isaiah 43, 7. God tells us that we were created for his glory. Everyone whom he formed and made was created for his glory. Well, he formed and made everybody. And we were created for his glory. To be in relationship with him. To be image bearers for him on this earth. So you may already be seeing, we've been pointing to this, that at its core, the issue is a question of truth. That's what we're dealing with, a question of truth. Look at this satire from the Babylon Bee. Michael showed me this a little while ago, a few days ago. The headline says, progressive mother tells daughter that she's beautiful just the way she is unless she's trans, in which case she'll need extensive plastic surgery. Now that's satire, meaning it's pointing out irony. It's pointing out a truth with a little bit of comedy, dark comedy, or a little bit of a chuckle there, and that's certainly not anything really to laugh at, is it? That's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough subject. That's a tough thing that people deal with. We're certainly sympathetic to anyone struggling with this in any way. But like the Babylon Bee does often, those are not true stories, they're satire, as I said, but they they highlight some truth in culture and society and politics, don't they? In our own lives, don't they? And I think that's saying something. Well, that's what we want to tell our daughters is you're beautiful. You, you don't, you, your hair's beautiful. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. You're beautiful. That's the, that's the way God made you. And yet culture is saying something else. And then so often parents are just left with no foundation of truth and they just, well... What do I do? And that's why we want to make sure we understand what does God's word say and how can we understand it ourselves and how can we help somebody? So just because I believe something is true doesn't make it true. I I wish it was true that I could eat all the hamburgers and pizza and ice cream and brownies I wanted and it'd, it'd be good for me. I wish that was true. Don't you? I, I, I wish, you know, a lot of things, but just because I believe it or want it doesn't make it true. I wish that I didn't have to pay my mortgage. But you know as well as I do, that don't make it true, does it? You got to pay your bills, don't you? Okay, so it doesn't matter if a scientist, if a politician, if a celebrity, if a social media influencer, a pro athlete, a teacher, a preacher, a parent, a friend. It doesn't matter if any of them say something that is uh, not true and they say the thing is true. If it's not true, it cannot be true. That's the nature of truth. And yet that's not the way culture uh, postmodern culture sees truth and understands truth. However, that is true about truth. I watched an interview with one girl who was influenced by uh, kids at school and by social media, social media community to change her pronouns. She was dealing with depression and a lot of uh, low self-esteem and difficulty in her young uh, teenage life, spending a lot of time on social media, 
And what she decided was, if I change my pronouns, then that'll give me some positive affirmation from my peer groups on social media and in school. And she found that to be true. So she changed her pronouns, and she was flooded with this positive affirmation. And it felt good. That helped her. She believed that helped her. So, so after a while, though, that, that kind of died off. And she started feeling the same way. This was, these are her words. This is her, her testimony. So she begins to realize, well, I've got to do something else now. I need, to, I need to go, and people would tell her, you need to do this and this. So she began to dress differently. Uh, and, and eventually, after a while, she decided she needed to go even further. She had already been identifying differently, trying to uh, uh, change her appearance. But she ended up going to a Planned Parenthood, and very, very easily, she describes it, was able to start taking the highest dose. I believe she said she was 13 the highest dose allowed of testosterone. With no seeing no social worker, no physician, no consultation with parents, anything at all, no psychiatric exam, nothing at all, she was able to be able to do that. And what she found in her life was that she only got worse and worse. She was in a downward spiral of depression. She said as she, her body began to take in more and more testosterone, that she just became enraged all the time. Uh, anger, couldn't control her emotions, a lot of other things going on in her body. She was just in total confusion. And she went, I think she said about a year and a half taking this testosterone, and it only got worse and worse for her. Eventually, she stopped that. She got off of it. She didn't go as far as any kind of surgical procedures and all of that. She said she was thankful. But one of the things that she says that stood out to me she stopped taking that because she, she wanted to be herself again. She knew she was going nowhere good at all. But she said that she was being told initially that if you don't like your body, that if you don't feel good about yourself, that if you don't fit in, then that means you're trans. And she said, that used to just be what it's called to be a teenager. I don't like the way I look. <laughs> I don't fit in. I feel awkward. That means you're a teenager. Guess what? If you feel that way, that means you're normal. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you. And if you're an adult and you feel that way, that probably means there's nothing wrong with you either because we all feel that way, don't we, from time to time. And when you're at that age in life, that stage of adolescence, you're moving from childhood to adulthood. And guess what that, I can give you one word for that, weird, awkward, I don't get it. I, I don't, my, I, I, I can't even control my body. I walk like this sometimes. You know, boys, their voice starts cracking. You know, they start getting an Adam's apple. Girls don't know what's going on from day to day, from minute to minute. Right? That's called being a teenager. You're totally normal. And yet what culture, some parts of culture are telling you now, oh, you feel that way? Well, that means you're probably this. You're probably that. That's a lie. That's a lie that this world is telling you. And so you need a foundation of what is truth. You, so so here's, here's something that just blew me away. The number of young people identifying as transgender has nearly doubled in the last five years. The number of adults identifying that way has also nearly doubled in the last few years. So let me ask you this. How, how'd that happen? Were, were all these people all of a sudden born in the wrong body? Is that, I mean, what happened to cause that? 
Well, there's different theories. But what happened was, it's called social contagion. And that explains largely, largely every bit of that. And, and social contagion is a documented phenomenon in, in humanity, and, and a largely even among teenage girls. And that this, you know, a friend, group, friend group starts struggling with something, depression or whatever. Uh, it's documented in anorexia and bulimia. And all of a sudden, the whole friend group is doing that. And that's not saying anything negative about girls, but they're a close-knit group. Boys, same thing. But it's, a, it's, it's social contagion, so it begins to catch on. And it begins to become a thing. And, and, and here's another thing. What's common is normal. And what's normal is assumed to be right. Right? So, so the things that we think are right, typically in culture... Well, why do we think that? Because they're normal. You know? Think about fashion. Whatever's going to be the girl's fashion five years from now, whatever that is, we have no idea what it's going to be, right? It's going to be 1,500 things before that. But in five years, this day in five years, whatever the girl's fashion is going to be, the stuff to wear on this day five years from now, if you were to wear that today, you would be a weirdo. You'd be strange, wouldn't you? But when it becomes normal, you won't be. You'll be weird if you're not wearing that. How many of you remember when we tight-rolled the bottoms of our jeans? So, some of you remember that, or you're like, yeah, my kids, I told them, oh, my goodness, you're walking out the house with that. I remember that, okay? Now, if we started tight-rolling our jeans, if I just started tight-rolling my jeans again, y'all would think, elders, y'all got to talk to him, Right? Something's wrong because it's not normal, because it's not common, and so it ain't right, okay? And so that's the same kind of thing. So, So here's another thing. No matter what you do or what you believe, there is a group out there who will affirm that action or that belief. You'll find them. Look, look, you, you probably hear this about going to a, a Christian university. If you want to find the party scene, they're there. You'll find them. Guaranteed they're there. There is not one Christian college anywhere that doesn't have some kids who are out partying, doing whatever they want to do. They're there. Now, they may be harder to find. You may have to look a little hard, but you're going to find them if you look for them. Some places easier than others. Okay? You go to other schools. It's all over the place. It's acceptable. It's more normal and common. Therefore, it's okay. It's right. But you will find a group to affirm what you believe, how you feel, what you want, no matter what that belief is. But see, here's the truth, is that that doesn't make it good for you. And you were not born in the wrong body. God made you. Look at Psalm 139. 13 through 14, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. This is the truth, and this should be your truth. You see, we don't get to define truth and reality for ourselves. We can't, it doesn't work for everyone in society to get to define what is true and real. And then everybody has to affirm that individual belief. That's impossible. And these two words, my truth, are so entrenched in our culture and in our vocabulary that we don't even realize how poisonous they are and how false they are and how 
destructive they are. Think about my truth, the belief in my truth. It sounds so enlightened, right? My truth. I'm so informed, aren't I, if I can speak of my truth. Wow, you must really have things figured out. But uh, it's, it's actually destructive in people's lives, in marriages. Think about the husband that just says, well, my truth is this, and leaves his family. Is that, is that good? Would you say that's okay and that's right? No. That's terrible. That's not truth. That's, that's wrong. And so, so it's destructive to families, communities, countries, churches. My truth cannot be right because everything cannot be right. Everything cannot be right at the same time. Every truth, so-called, cannot be true. And that's an absolute. That is an absolute truth. Eventually, one person's truth will collide with someone else's truth. And how are they going to work that out? How are they going to decide which one is true? Power is the only way to do it. Someone will overpower the other, and their truth will will prevail. Does that make sense? So we're dealing with a war on what is true. When I live by my truth, I can't live in community with other people because this is my truth. And so I continue to live in isolation and and, and loneliness and and desperation because that's where that road takes us. That's That's what this is about, ultimately, is being your own God and getting to say what is true and right. That's, that's where this leads you, is I get to be my own God. And when we're not careful, we like that idea. Culture, the world certainly likes that. Satan certainly enjoys that. So, and then on top of that, we have this belief that we have to affirm everyone else's belief as equally true. That just simply cannot work in reality. So, The Christian must be clear on some things. Who is God? Is is the almighty creator God? Is he God or am I God? It's a simple question. Who is God? And, And then who defines truth and reality? Does culture or does God? And then who am I going to believe? Because I can believe God who is God who actually defines truth and reality, and I can believe in him, or I can believe all this other stuff that claims to be true. You see, the question of sexual identity is a question about what is real and true. Psychology does not and cannot usurp biology. Biology tells you you were created by God, not only in your body parts, but in your thinking, in your personality, in your whole being. And the truth that we see from creation is this, that there are two sexes, male or female, and you were given one of those at birth. There's only two genders, and that's essentially the same thing, male or female, and that's the sex that God created you with. Sex and gender are essentially the same thing, and God created you with one of those. So we need a biblical definition of identity. That's what we need. We need need to know who we are. What's my identity? And only God's definition of who we are as he created us to be is stable and sure. That's what we've been looking at in Scripture. Because the world's definition is going to change soon. 
You can count on that. Whatever they tell you this is who you are and how you should be, you can count on that. The, the, the foundation that you thought was there will crumble and wash away and you'll be left standing there not knowing who you are once again. And then it will give you another identity to assume and another and another and you'll live in confusion. But God gives us an identity from creation that we can be sure of, that we, gives us hope and comfort and love and wholesomeness and, and actual acceptance from him and from uh, his, all of creation because that's how he created us. So culture holds, us, holds up to us a carnival mirror. You remember those at the fun house? And what do they do? They make you look all weird and funny, right? And you laugh. The kids are laughing, especially at their parents. The parents are like, oh, no, I don't really look like that. I don't want to see myself like that. But culture holds up to you a carnival mirror, and you think it's real. You think that's what you really look like. And it tells you, you need to do something about it. But that's a distorted view. That's not the real you. That's not who God made you to be. That's what culture is telling you. That's what the world is telling you, what Satan's telling you. We need to understand who God made us to be, his identity for us. God Almighty created you himself. He made you, and God tells you the truth about who you are. And he loves you when people reject you. He loves you when you don't love yourself and understand yourself. And he gives you wholesomeness and completeness and acceptance. So in the context of human brokenness that we all experience, someone feeling that their biology and their gender don't match is not at all different than the temptation to sin in any way. So just some temptation. Because I can be tempted to sin, but if that's not sin. Being tempted is not sin. Giving into the temptation is sin. The fight to have a biblical identity, to hold on to a biblical identity, that isn't sin. If I'm struggling to do that and I'm having a hard time and going through some things, but I'm trying to hold on to my biblical identity and not listen to culture, that's not sin. But to give in to a fallen self-perception that the world gives you, that's sin. That's not how God created us to live. And so we see God's design all throughout his plan for humanity. He made us male and female. And then we see he designed us that way for the purpose of marriage and children. And we see that in the garden. As well as all the other ways that men and women complement each other. And then in Ephesians 5 we see that that mirrors the relationship of Christ and his bride, the church. Because Paul shows how those are similar, how they're related. So the Christian has this special identity in Christ as we close. Paul told us in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, that when we become a Christian, we put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. See that renewal? You need a renewed image, not that carnival mirror image. Renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul said it here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old has passed away. That worldly stuff. And behold... The new has come, that true identity, that restored identity that we lost in the fall in the garden. Then, uh, back up to verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all 
that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's really important because what the world says is you, you just, you define your truth and do it your way. There's no truth outside of you. There's no objective standard of absolute truth that you define all truth. And, and the Bible calls that selfishness. And the Bible says that's not the Christian identity, that we live no longer for ourselves, but for who, for his sake, our sake died for us. See, Jesus died on the cross for you to save you and restore your true identity as his creation the way he made you to be. He gave up his life to save yours, not only now, but eternally, because he loves you more than you can begin to comprehend. And he'll never stop loving you, no matter what you've been going through. But then we're raised up in Christ through baptism, no longer living for ourselves, no longer being our own God, defining our own truth, our own reality, but living for him and for his glory the way he made us to. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he saves us to turn us around, to change us, to restore true identity in our lives. I want to encourage you, let Jesus change your identity. Let him change your life. Make sure your identity, if it's in your job, if it's in something different, things we've been talking about, whatever it is, make sure your identity is rooted and grounded and founded in Christ only and in nothing else but as a creation and child of God. If we can help you this morning, pray for you, study with you, encourage you for this reason or any other reason, we want you to know we're here for you. We're not just talking about this. We care about you if you're going through something or some other issue. Maybe you're ready to become a Christian and put on Christ in baptism and you're ready to start this walk with Christ and let him turn your life around. We're here for you. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.